right, well, we thought we had the game plan in place, but now it looks like we're pricing in even more rate hikes. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. Gosh, Steve, I don't know if you want to go back through the past several months. I really can't keep track of it. We were looking at two hikes, then six hikes. Old and news. <laughs> I Old know. News. I, every day I think I wake up and it's like it has changed. The The game plan moving forward has changed. So joining us tonight to try to make sense of what's going on here is Allworth Chief Investment Officer Andy Stout. Of course, he joins us every Monday. Um, Andy, my goodness, the Federal Reserve, I would not want to be sitting in their seats because it's without a doubt a difficult decision, but it seems to change on the daily as to what the best path forward might be. Yeah, if you just go back to the end of last year, it was going to be a pretty mild year for the Federal Reserve, thinking they might raise interest rates by a quarter of a point, maybe three times. We've already had one hike back in March, and now we're looking at eight more hikes. From A total of nine hikes this year is what the market is pricing at, based on what the Fed has been saying, based on what we're seeing with inflation. It's just a much different ballgame than where we were just a few months ago. Hey, Andy, we're, we're talking about maybe as many as eight rate hikes, but they've only got six meetings. So to me, that says one, maybe two half-point hikes. What do you think? Well, it's going to have to be. I mean, yeah. the math is the math if that's where uh, we end up at. And most likely, it, I think we'll probably see, based on today's data, of course, I think we see a half point rate hike at the Fed's next meeting. So that's definitely on the horizon. That's on May 4th. So if we look at that, you got one half point hike there. Where's the other one going to come into play? Goldman Sachs was out, leaked, out last week saying they thought the next two meetings, the May and June one, would be half point. Citigroup, they went even further. They're thinking you might see a half point hike at the next four meetings, which well, would be a very aggressive Fed. Well, it would be very aggressive. But what are the chances if inflation data actually comes down a little bit that they back off and, and go back to three or four rate hikes? Is, is that dreaming or, or is there a chance of that? Well, I mean, there's there's a chance of that. I mean, if you have inflation come down that much, it would be very surprising at this point in time based on the supply chain issues caused by Russia's unprovoked war on Ukraine, just because we thought the supply chain was getting sure. better. And then Putin just did that. And that's making things so much worse from a supply chain perspective, ripple effects. Also, if you want to look at what's going on in China, uh, they're seeing the uh, rise in COVID cases, a very rapid rise for them. And they have a history of what's called a zero tolerance policy, where basically they've shut down uh, millions of uh, households and make them stay home. But they seem to be relaxing that a little bit. But we could see some supply chain impacts from the rise in COVID cases in China uh, as they look to probably impose restrictions to some degree. Now, so would I be surprised if we see inflation go down there? I would. If it does, yeah, I mean, the Fed can reverse course. I mean, Chair Powell's been out uh, very recently trying to position the Fed to be more nimble in order to either be more aggressive or less aggressive, I guess, uh, in that case. And as we talk about all of the variables right, that the Fed is trying to take into account here and the fact that we may be looking at seven, eight rate hikes, does anything about this make you nervous, right? I mean, of course, the ultimate fear here is that the Fed hikes us into a recession. When you look at the numbers, seven, maybe eight, we're looking at maybe one, two half point hikes. Uh, does any of that start to make you nervous? Well, I mean, the Fed does have a history of that, Amy, as you said, uh, hiking us right into a recession where they make the cost of borrowing so expensive that it seems to uh, hamstring the economy and causes us to slow down. 
And I mean, if you go back to 1980, when then Fed Chair Paul Volcker hiked interest rates very aggressively, it pushed us into a recession. And that ultimately was responsible for quelling uh, inflation. Some people are arguing maybe you do need a recession to slow inflation down. Uh, now, the Fed doesn't want to, you know, they pretty much said they don't want to hike us into a recession. But if push comes to shove, if inflation becomes to the point where it's spiraling out of control, yeah, they could start to consider that. I don't think we go that route. But the thing is, will there be a policy error? Will the Fed accidentally hike us into a recession? And that's where, you know, you could see it. But it's usually, here's the thing. If you look at past rate hikes, recessions don't come when the Fed starts raising rates. They come usually after the Fed has cut a couple of times because you see it on the rise and the, everything's slowing down. So we're not there yet. Leading economic indicators still show us growing, but certainly what the Fed is doing um, can slow down growth. But am I worried? Not really. Uh, but as of right now, because I'm always thinking about the long run and thinking about how this is going to play out. What's the next step? So you can't just look at what's going on today. You got to look at what's going on tomorrow, a, a week from now, a year from now. And that's how you have to think about these things. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55 KRC. We're joined by Andy Stout, Allworth's Chief Investment Officer. He joins us every Monday to make sense of what's going on in the market and the economy. And, of course, we're talking about the Federal Reserve, our nation's central bank, how many times we expect that they will hike interest rates this year and whether that could potentially hike us into a recession, as it has uh, several times in history. Andy, you have, though, a kind of a recession scorecard, and you just mentioned leading economic indicators. Um, last I heard, only one of those was kind of blinking red, meaning pushing us maybe in the direction where we could be heading toward the recession. What's the latest there? Well, still, we're, we're at one indicator pointing toward a recession, one out of the 10 that we follow really closely that make up our own uh, recession index. I will say there's another one that's close, though. That's the interest rate difference between the two-year treasury and the 10-year treasury. It has narrowed to the point where it's only about a 0.12% difference. When that gets negative, meaning interest rates on the two-year are greater than the 10-year, typically that is a signal of an economic slowdown ahead. And that's actually one of the more reliable leading economic indicators, Amy. However, this is a big however, it, there's a very, very long lead time with that one inverting and the onset of a recession. For example, that part of the yield curve inverted two years before the onset of the Great Recession in uh, 2008. And it inverted three years before the 2001 recession. So we're not inverted yet. It probably will at some point in time because recessions are a normal part of the business cycle, but we're not there yet and still uh, a, a long ways to go. So when we look at the Allworth recession in, uh, index as a whole, still only seeing one out of 10 signaling a slowdown ahead, we'll get a little bit more worried and we're looking at about four or so of those indicators uh, pointing to a slowdown. So you're not real worried about a recession at this point? Not based on today's data, no. Now, I will tell you there's always a possibility of some sort of outside event that could just or an exogenous event as the You mean like an unprovoked like war? That that never happens. No, <laughs> or something the completely, yes. Yeah government deciding to shut down the economy for two months because of COVID, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's not really predictable. But there could be some ripple effects from Russia's unjustified war on Ukraine. Are they recessionary? Probably not yet. But, I mean, that's here in the U.S. 
I mean, I think Europe might be feeling it a little bit more uh, bluntly than we are here, though. Let's talk a little bit about how these changes to uh, interest rate policies have affected investments. I I mean, last week was a a great example. We saw stocks go up about 1.8 percent. Bonds, as followed by the aggregate bond index, dropped about 1.8 percent, exact opposite directions. If you're a conservative investor and and heavy in bonds, um, why should you have any optimism if you saw a big loss last week in bonds and you know that uh, the future is going to bring additional interest rate increases? Can bonds get back to, to normal? Can they settle down a little bit? Yeah, there's yeah, absolutely. To answer your question, when we look at longer periods of time rather than just week to week or what it's been going on in the bond market on a year to day basis, uh, let's look at one of the more uh, obvious times when interest rates rose, which is from 1958 to 1981. We saw interest rates on that 10 year treasury go from about 4% to over 15%. Now, even as rates moved up and typically you know, rates and prices move in opposite directions. But the total return on corporate bonds for that period was an annualized 3% positive rate of return. So there are, there's a history showing us that bonds can generate positive returns even when rates are rising. And you want to talk about supply chains because you mentioned, of course, when you were talking about China before, the fact that they are dealing with increased COVID cases and part of their economy was shut down for a while, seems to be opening back up. But of course, on top of that, you have everything that's going on with Russia and Ukraine. Uh, you know, I remember in the not too distant past, we were talking about, oh, we think supply chain issues might loosen up Q1 of this year. Obviously, that's not happening. It's like this moving target that keeps just kind of being pushed out into the horizon. What do you think? When do you think we might start to see some of that pressure being alleviated? A lot of it hinges on Russia. I mean, they are a big player in the global supply chain. You see it on the commodity front. They're with the third largest producer uh, of oil, uh, also a a large producer of natural gas, wheat as well. Uh, So when you look at that, I mean, it's really connected. So by taking them essentially from the, the Western economies taking the taking Russia out of the equation, that's going to have some significant ripple effects on supply chains in general. So <clears throat> when will it get better? I think a lot will depend on how this uh, war progresses and when it might come to an end. But looking at the big picture, I mean, we're starting to see some workarounds. Businesses are getting creative uh, in a few different areas. Yeah, probably the second half of this year, you might see some improvement. Uh, I mean, it was looking very promising uh, a couple of months ago, looking at a lot of indicators yeah. like order backlogs, as an example, um, the price uh, to shipping costs, uh, we're seeing a lot of improvement. Now those are kind of moving in the opposite direction, obviously. So probably the second half of this year, most likely, but we'll have to see how it plays out. There's a lot of uncertainty surrounding Russia. Andy, quickly, I want to ask you this because people stop me a lot and they say, like, are you what are you worried about? Right. And I always say I sleep well at night until Andy Stout tells me that he's not sleeping well at night. Is there anything keeping you up at night right now? Or do you feel like all of these things, while there's a lot of volatility in the markets and a lot of uncertainty out there, will likely play themselves out and be just fine? Yeah, I think it'll play itself out. We'll be just fine. There's going to be market turbulence. Market's going to go up. Market's going to go down. That's the cost of investing, if you will. And will there be a recession? Yeah, at some point. Absolutely. There's no question about it. Is it around the corner? Probably not. But when it does come around the corner, will I still be, will I be losing sleep then? 
Probably not, because I want to look at the big picture and try to see how everything connects. Because even when things were at it their worst in 2008, we got better. We and things were at the worst in 2001, things got better. You can go back to the 1991 recession, things got better. That's the point. This is the why economy, we have you on. Yes. The economy, the markets, 100% of the time have recovered. That is a great perspective for anyone who's just feeling a little queasy these days with all this volatility. Here's the Simply Money point. While rate hikes appear certain, staying true to your financial plan is the best thing that you can do. There's one recession risk indicator that Andy might not have necessarily taken into account. We're talking about the sales of men's underwear. No joke. We will explain this in three minutes. Plus, we'll tackle the rule of 55 and its potential impact on your financial future. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovag. If you can't listen to Simply Money every night, subscribe to our weekly podcast. It's the best of Simply Money. You'll find it on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. So are you doing everything you can to maximize maybe that Roth IRA? Do you even have one? Coming up, why the Roth can be a huge benefit to anyone's retirement plan. We'll explain ahead at 643. You know, Steve, there are a lot of headlines right now predicting recession by summer, recession by this time, and here's how we can know. However, maybe many of them have missed perhaps what is the largest leading economic indicator, and that is, yes, the sale of men's underwear. Well, I know this is a topic that, that you follow very closely, <laughs> and, and I, you've been a men's uh, underwear expert for years, haven't you? Sure, yeah. sure. You know, this is this is funny. Alan Greenspan, I mean, this is not some wacko, you know. Yes, that, that's the former there. Fed chair, yeah, Alan exactly. Greenspan, says that there's actually a correlation between the sale of men's underwear <laughs> and a recession. Yes, yeah, so they call it the underwear index. Um, it is an index. It's a real index. Yes. That and amazes me. Apparently, it held true. So 2007, 2009, of course, during the Great Recession, um, men's underwear sales went down. And then they gained steam again in 2010 as the the economy started to pull itself up out of that recession and recover. This is killing you, isn't it? <laughs> uh, like I think this is the fun. You know, I've been I've been doing the show for a long time, yeah. right? And, and yeah. some of the things that people talk about when it comes to money, really, this is this might top it all. This might top it all for me. Yeah, yeah you know, this is like saying whoever wins the coin toss and in, in the Super Bowl wins fifty six percent of the time. Or you know, there, sure, maybe maybe it's happened on the couple of times that they've studied it, but that doesn't mean it's going to hold true in the future. I mean, there's also a skyscraper index. Yes. you know, there, there's there's a thought that okay, and during boom times, the tallest newest skyscraper that gets erected is going to signal a recession because when everybody thinks uh, uh, the uh, economy is going through the roof, that's when you build things like that and everything goes in a cycle and a recession will follow. I don't know about this one. I, I you know, what the, the, one of the truths in, in economics is there will always be a recession. You just don't know when. And, <laughs> and, you know, that's that's always the guessing game is how do you predict it? I wouldn't put this at the top of my list. Well, I do know about this one, and it's crazy. The men's, men's underwear, underwear index. Yes, okay. I think, well, no, I just do know that this one is crazy, but it's actually super funny, and I and I love the fact that we get to talk about it. All right, so let's turn to real stuff to talk about now. The retirement topic that maybe you don't know about it, it's called the rule of of 55. And Steve, this is actually one of those things I think a lot of people don't know or 
understand this, but it can be a game changer for some people if you are in that 55 to 59 and a half. It is. And I honestly, I think there's a lot of advisors that aren't aware of it. If, If you've got a company 401k and you're over the age of 55 and you leave that company, what's the big concern? Okay, um, you're always going to pay tax on distributions, but that 10% penalty really just crushes you, right? So in other words, if you take money out of a retirement account too early, you're going to get hit not only with taxes on the amount of the distribution, but tack on another 10% tax penalty. Well, most people are are comfortable with an IRA. Yeah, 59 and a half is the magic number. If you're over age 59 and a half, you beat that 10% penalty. Well, on a 401k, it may be age 55, four and a half years earlier. In other words, if you leave your company after age 55 and you have a 401k and that 401k allows withdrawals prior to 59 and a half, you may not have to pay that extra 10% penalty. It's Which, a big deal. Well, and I think then, like, if you are in your 50s and not sure about when you're going to leave, right, when you're going to retire, understanding this rule uh, kind of gives you a tool to decide, do I leave the job, right? Do I yeah. roll over the 401k? Um, things like that. Because understanding this could give you a tool to, yes, draw money earlier yeah. than you could and not face penalties, which is a huge difference for a lot of people. It, it, it is. And that's why a lot of companies don't allow it because they figure, oh, boy, we might lose some people what that are only 57 or 58. Steve, what percentage of plans that you see would you say even allow for? Yeah, You know, I, I'm not sure of the, the answer to that question because so few people dive into even it and, and, and even ask. It. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, how many people retire between the ages of 55 and 59 and a half? There, there aren't a lot. Yeah. yeah you, you know, and so whether or not you have a plan that allows it or whether or not you have a plan that even allows partial distributions, um, that may not not be the case. So you all, before you even think about this, you want to run it by HR or yes. call your plan provider, and you certainly want to talk to a tax consultant. But here's how, how it usually plays out. You know, people in, in our industry, they, they tend to say, oh, roll over the money. I'll, I'll do great things for you, okay? Well, if you're 57 years old and just left that company, you may not want to because by going into an IRA with your 401k rollover money, now all of a sudden you're you're basically saying, you lose the I'm, option. yeah, I'm willing to take a 10% penalty if I change my mind and do need to take a distribution in the next couple of years. So you may want to keep that money in your old 401k if you're between the ages of 55 and 59 and a half. One more thing to look at before you just listen to somebody that, that says, roll it over and trust me. That That's not always the way to go. I don't know who it is that takes the time to go through the IRS tax code, right, and figure <laughs> out these yeah. little rules because uh, I can't imagine how tedious that much must be. But understanding that some of these can actually be a huge benefit, right, work in your favor. Sure. If, if, if you think that maybe retiring in your mid to late 50s is on the table for you, then understand this option and make sure that you leave that, that option on the table by not making any moves as far as what you just said, Steve, right? About making that yeah. into an IRA, about um, leaving the job early, that kind of thing. Here's a Simply Money point. If you qualify for the rule of 55, talk to a trusted financial advisor, a tax professional first to see whether early withdrawals is the right decision for you. You might have to go to HR as well. Uh, so how much did you pay to fill up your tank last time? I bet you remember. So maybe for thinking it's time to sign up for a gas station credit card in order to save money, we're going to investigate actually whether that is your best option. That's next. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station.
You're listening to Simply Money tonight. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. The prices at the pump, in fact, they've gone up more over the past month than we've seen in the history of them keeping track of these things going back to the 1970s. So we were all, we are all feeling the pain at the pump right now. And I think the question for many of you is how can we save, right? Does it make sense to get a gas card from one, or a, a credit card from one of these gas stations? Joining us tonight is Ted Rossman. He's senior industry analyst from Bankrate. Um, you know, Ted, I think this is something that's on the top of mind for a lot of people. It really is. Yeah, it's been pretty shocking what's gone on lately with gas prices. It has huge ripple effects for the household budget. I would say definitely get a gas rewards credit card, but maybe not the one that you think. Probably not the one from the gas station. The reason is that they typically just give a five or 10 cent per gallon discount, and it's just a flat five or 10 cents. In other words, the more prices rise, the less meaningful that is on a percentage basis. So as you guys did the research right into what makes the most sense, if you're saying, okay, don't get them directly from Shell or BP or name your gas station, where do you think we can get the best bang for our buck right now? The best option is a general purpose credit card that has good gas rewards. Two that I especially like uh, happen to come from warehouse clubs. The Sam's Club Mm -hmm. MasterCard gives 5% cash back on gas, and the Costco Anywhere Visa gives 4% cash back on gas. It's important to point out that those rewards can be earned basically anywhere, not just at their own pumps, although many people do like filling up at the warehouse club because they often have better prices. They have long lines, too, so try to time it right. Um, But what I especially like is the fact that just about any gas station qualifies for those rewards if you have the credit card. Four or five percent cash back can be really meaningful. Some other options include the Discover It cashback card. People really like that for its rotating 5% categories. It just so happens that gas is one of the categories in April, May, and June. So that can help people. The city custom cash is 5% cashback on your top spending category every month, and gas is one of the options there. I think all of these are better options than the gas station's own credit cards. You know, Ted, as I'm listening to him, I'm thinking, okay, one of my credit cards sends me a monthly email about different rewards that I can essentially click into or enable on my account. And I really mm-hmm. often just ignore that. But I guess during this time when we're paying more for gas, I should be getting on there to seeing, okay, are, are there rewards that I can elect into that have to do with gas prices? And I'm wondering, there's a lot of people out there that kind of get these updates who might ignore them. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, I use a credit card, the Blue Cash Preferred from American Express, that gives 3% cash back on gas. So it's not top of the line for gas, but I really like it mostly as a grocery card. It gives 6% cash back at grocery stores. Oh, wow. But what you were just saying reminded me of, you know, we may all have a credit card in our wallet that, like, we think of that one as a grocery card, but its rewards on gas are pretty good, too. It depends how much you drive. I mean, the more you drive, maybe the more likely you are to get a credit card solely for gas. Like if you spend a lot on gas, you should definitely get one of these 5% options. If you're kind of a middle of the road gas spender, you know, like me, maybe you you have another card for another purpose that just so happens to have pretty good gas rewards, stack it with other discounts too, like a gas station's payment app. These are free apps that almost all the major brands have. They often give you an extra five or 10 cents off per gallon, and you combine that with your rewards credit card. Or you earn those grocery points at Kroger or 
Albertsons or Safeway, and then you use those to save on gas. That's another stacking ability. I think you make a great point, too, there, Ted, in the fact that maybe we aren't aware of all of the things that are credit, all the benefits of our credit cards. And now might be the time to get get out or get online and look at those things, because when we're dealing with inflation at 40 plus year highs and, you know, these crazy gas prices, I was in the car with my 16 year old the other day and she said, are we really driving across town to Kroger to fill out the t- tank? And I was like, yes, we really are. I wouldn't normally do that, but I had, you know, 60 cents off each each gallon of gas. So I think now might be the time to just do a little research and figure out how, you know, what are the perks that my credit card already offers, or does it make sense to start looking at other credit cards? It's great advice. Yeah. And I think we could also extend this to other aspects of our financial lives. So not just gas, but using some of these same strategies to combine discounts on other retail purchases. Maybe you go through a shopping portal and you use a rewards credit card and you use a store coupon code. Everybody's worried about inflation these days. And I think that being creative, stacking discounts, using apps, using the right credit cards, it can all really add up. Ted Rosman is joining us tonight from Bankrate with some interesting research on if you're looking to save money at the pump right now, where you can turn when it comes to credit cards. Um, Costco has a great one. Uh, Sam's Club also has a great one where you're saving 5%, 4% every time you fill up. Those are great options for you. You know, Ted, I'm wondering, though, if there are some people who are saying, what about my credit score, right? If I'm opening up a credit card for this and then I open up a credit card for something else, what, what's that going to look like to my credit score? If you open a card once in a while, I'll say like every six to 12 months or more, it shouldn't be that big of a deal, uh, as long as you're not applying for too much other credit. You know, we, we want to include all these hard inquiries in our discussions. So like if you recently applied for a mortgage or a car loan or you're about to, then maybe you hold off on the new card application. But basically, as long as you're applying for credit no more than once every six months or so, you should be fine from an inquiry standpoint on your credit report. You know, there's also things like the average age of your accounts. You want to try to keep that as long as possible. But, you know, every once in a while, it can make sense to apply for credit. I would point out, too, that there are actually some benefits in a way of having more credit, more opportunities for on-time payments, more available credit. So that can help drive down your utilization rate. So I wouldn't be overly concerned about applications. Don't abuse it, of course, but I do think it's a good idea to compare maybe at least once a year and just see because your lifestyle changes, the market changes, you know, qualifying for a new sign-up bonus is nice. Um, But I think especially now as we hopefully come out of the pandemic, I think that people should reassess kind of how they're spending their money and it might be different. So whether that's a gas card groceries, dining, travel. There are a lot of different options, and it does make sense to shop around. And with gas prices as high as they are, I think most people have reached the tipping point of maybe I will drive farther. Maybe I will download this app. Maybe I will apply for this credit card. Um, But you say it's even maybe just as easy to some degree as just what you're carrying around in the trunk. I've got four kids, four different sports. We have a bunch of stuff in it. Even just getting some of that stuff out of the car could make a difference. Yeah, there's definitely advice from AAA and the EPA and other agencies like that that say that it really does add up. Things like, you know, the EPA says your fuel mileage decreases by one percentage point for every 100 pounds in your car. So that is a good excuse to clean out the trunk. You know, things like making sure your tires are properly 
inflated, uh, not driving too fast. You know, all these things, they may kind of sound small, but they can add up just from a fuel efficiency and maintenance standpoint. So, Ted, what do you think the bottom line is here for people who are dealing with these higher gas prices right now? Definitely be your own advocate. Look for savings opportunities. There are also apps like GasBuddy and GetUpside that can help you find the best prices. Be careful because sometimes the information's a little out of date. That's what I found in my experience. Uh, but sometimes it can be useful to help you find the best deals. They both have additional couponing opportunities that sometimes make sense if you find a good deal in your area. You know, we talked about gas rewards credit cards. The station's apps can add savings. Combine as many of these strategies as possible. The pain of the pump is real. We are certainly all feeling it right now. Ted Rossman joining us tonight from Bankrate with just some great insights into ways to save, the right credit cards to get, uh, the right ways to plan those trips. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Strovac. It is the great debate. Steve and I love to get into this one, right? It's not that you're necessarily having a server bring you food. It's more like you're picking up carryout or something and they push the iPad <laughs> in your face. And how much are you going to tip? We're going to get into this because this one, this one really burns me. You will call bit. me cheapskate, Steve, at some you point might in this call conversation. Both of us cheapskates at the end of this one. We're going to talk about that straight ahead. But first, we want to tell you something about that we are huge fans of, if it makes sense for you. And that is the Roth, right? Sure. Many of you have a Roth option in your 401k. If you are setting aside additional money in an IRA, there's a Roth IRA. And there's huge benefits to these. And see if I don't know that everyone truly understands the difference. Well, I, you know I'm a car guy, and, and this might date me a little bit, but Fram Oil Filters used to run a commercial that said, you can pay me now or you can pay me later. And that's really what we're talking about here. Do you want to pay taxes now uh, and go ahead and take after-tax money and put it in your, in your Roth 401k? Or do you want to pay later and that's get pre-tax money into your traditional 401k but pay taxes on the out? So that, that's really the major difference. You pay you pay uh, tax on your uh, income, uh, go ahead and put it in a Roth 401k, and guess what? When you take that money out, it's a freebie. And most people, Amy, forget about this. You know, when they when they retire and they've got you know a big chunk of money in uh, in a traditional 401k or IRA, a Roth 401k or IRA, and you know five years after retirement they need a car and say, boy, I, boy where am I going to take the least hit? And I remind them, remember that Roth? That's free. What do you mean it's free? Well, you don't pay tax on the distribution if. You're over 59 and a half, which if you're retired, pretty much you're going to be. Mm -hmm. And if it's been established for at least five years, the IRS says, you know what, if it's been around five years, I don't care when you put the money in, if you opened up your Roth and, and initially funded it at least five years ago, that money's a freebie and it doesn't even have a required minimum distribution. What, what a great tool. Listen, if you are listening right now and you're in your 20s or your children are in their 20s, oh, right? Just, yeah. There is no better tool for them than a Roth because, I, I mean, most of us, right, you get out of college, you're making less money, you continue to build up your career. Uh, and so you're paying today's tax rates on that money as you put it into the Roth 401k, assuming that, of course, in the future, right, you're going to get bumped into higher and higher tax brackets. I'll say, though, um, even for myself now, right, I mean, I don't know what tax 
bracket I'm going to be in in retirement. And that's a consideration, right? If you think you're going to be in a lower tax bracket. But also, where do you think taxes are going to go in the future? We have a little bit of debt here in the U.S. Little tiny bit. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right? So, you know, as we look at all the spending that we've had to shove out for these stimulus package after stimulus package, right? If you think, if you look at all of that and you look at the horizon and you say, okay, I think that probably it's in the cards that in the future we're going to, they're going to have to change the tax code, right? And I maybe I'm going to be bumped to a higher tax rate. Well, then the Roth also makes sense for you, right? Now. Yeah. The younger you are, the, the more advantageous the Roth is for you. There, there is no question about it. But I even see it on the back end of, of you know, people getting closer to retirement that, um, uh, they want to start contributing to a Roth because of that tax break. And, and, you know, they're thinking still, you know, I might be retiring in the next five, eight years or so, but I hope to be around 20 or 30 years from now. And that's where it really starts to pay. I mean, when you have that tax-free compounding of a Roth, uh, it is a huge, huge advantage. Um, so you can, you can, you don't have to go all one way or all the other. If you're still working, you can, all right, I've got 10% of my money going into the uh, traditional uh, 401k. You can, if you want to uh, start bumping up your contributions, maybe do 3 4 5% into the Roth 401k at the same time. There's nothing that says you can't do both. The, the key is, does your company allow or have a Roth 401k? Not every company does, but thankfully I'm seeing a lot of companies step up and, and add that to the mix. They're getting more and more popular. Yeah, they really sure. are. Yeah. One thing to keep in mind, too, is um, you know your Roth 401k is not like a Roth IRA, right? There's an income threshold at which you cannot no longer contribute to a Roth IRA. You can contribute right. to a traditional IRA. 401k, there is no income threshold. You can make... $5 a year, you can make 500 you can make $5 million a year. It doesn't matter. There's no threshold for that. Well, I'm glad you covered your income situation. <laughs> $5. So, so, yeah. But, I, you know, here, here's another area, though. A lot of retirees, they, they understand the value of a Roth and they want to make a contribution. But if you do not have earned income from a job, you cannot put money in a Roth. So, you know, if your income is just Social Security and distributions from an IRA, chances are you you can't put money in. But if you're younger, especially if you're still working, please try to put some money away in a Roth. The, the down-the-road advantages are massive. Now, if you have an IRA, right, and a Roth IRA, understand this too. You can't max out both of them. You can't put six thousand in one and six thousand in the other. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? It was actually funny. My husband was like, "No, we can. I can do both." And I was like, "No, I promise you, you cannot." (laughs) What do you know? Yeah, he was like, "I think I can put even." Yeah, I know. Once again, right? What do I know? I just talk about these things all day, every day. But (laughs) they're just great options, I think, for a lot of people, especially if you're younger. But you're right, Steve. Even for people who are getting closer and closer to retirement. Um, you know, I know lots of people who are looking into this option because you're right. You don't want to get there and say, okay, I've got a million dollars in my 401k. Wait a second. How much of that is really mine, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, it is so tempting when you retire to say, you know what, I, I want to go out and do something. I want to spend a little bit of money. I think I'll drain the Roth first I, because it's tax-free. Yeah, but you know what? If you can keep your hands off of the Roth portion of your IRA or 401k in retirement, let that grow. It, it's grown tax-free. So maybe it'll buy two cars 10 years down the road instead of one car and be gone when you're retired. So if at all possible, unless it's a massive, massive amount you've put in Roth 401ks or IRAs, try to keep your hands off of it. Let it grow tax-free. It's a great deal.
Here's a Simply Money point. A Roth IRA, one of the best tools you can use to grow your retirement nest egg, tax-free. Of course, that was the Roth 401k. The key is once you have it, of course, not to blow it off. Next, a tricky topic tipping. The new way businesses are using technology to make your decision all the more difficult, and I would say to guilt trip you into tipping. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRZ, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. Steve, when it comes to tipping... I think I would say that you and I are both generous people, right? You've worked yeah. in restaurants. I've worked in restaurants. Got me through college. Four years of being a waiter. And I'll tell you what, the best tippers are always former waiters and waitresses. Oh, yes, without a yeah. doubt. But but something happened during the pandemic, right? We quit eating in restaurants and we started to do the takeout. And during that time, the iPad screen started to come in. They flipped Just them one around. more question. Just one yes. more question, please. Right. So you put your credit card in or you, put your, you pay and then there's a screen that comes up and it yeah. says... But how much are you going to tip? A few weeks ago, I went and bought overpriced donuts for our gang, right? And I'm standing there thinking, okay, four children. How many of them had someone spend the night last night? All right, we've got seven kids. I need all these donuts. <laughs> they're, they're, you know, stupid expensive anyway. And then up comes the screen and it says, how much are you going to tip? For the person to take the donuts out of the case and put them into to a box. To sell you what they're in business to sell. Yes. Right there in front of you. They yep. put the donuts yep. in a box and the lowest tip that was available to me was $2.55. And you didn't want to pay it, did you? I actually did the custom thing and I was like, $2 because I felt like I was winning there. But it, it is, it brings up this whole thing that many of us yeah. just aren't comfortable with yet. I mean, we, I don't think we've figured out how we feel about tipping right. for things when you're when they're not serving you, right? When they're not bringing you the food or bringing you your drinks. Yeah, you, you know, and, and we did a lot of takeout during the pandemic. And, and, you know, these businesses, for the most part, they were barely surviving. I wanted to help them, especially, you know, the local ones. You, you want to take care of them? I massively over tip. But, you know, we're getting back to normal. And, and my question is, when do we get back to normal tipping? I, I mean, if, if it's a business that you drove to and all they're doing is handing it across the counter to you, that is their business. Um, should there be a tip involved? That, that That's my question. And I think a lot of people are saying, I don't know. Well, I was going to say, we're not alone whatsoever as we question that, okay, is this the norm? Because it turns out that Square, right, which is the company that kind of yeah. does a lot of those um, services where you can pay online, suggests that tipping is waning because at, during full uh, during COVID at full-service restaurants, the typical tip was about 21%. Now we've started to fall back down. We're getting closer to 19%. I don't love that because I think those people are still out there working their butts off as yeah, they're waiting on sure tables. But I do, I really struggle with, and I'm trying to think, but there's all kinds of weird different services and things like that where I will just run in, pay really quick, and then I'm faced with that. And I also want to know, is the person who's standing on the other side, can they see? Like, yeah, are they seeing yeah. in real time? Like, you what know, are they are, saying about? Are you? they spitting in my food? Are yeah, they licking yeah. my donuts? Is they're putting them in the box? <laughs> you know, is this going to become the norm, and I just need to get used to it? Like, I don't know yet. Yeah, and I, I'm getting back to the no thanks on on just walking in a business where they don't serve you at a table, or you know, where where it's just them selling you what they sell. Yeah, I, I'm okay with that. Bottom line, tipping is an individual thing. Technology has certainly changed it, but I think it is still your call. You've been listening to Simply Monday here on 55KRC, the talk station.